We're going to continue just uh, looking at uh, the word that uh, John read to us uh, earlier in the service for uh, a few moments just now. And uh, continuing our series of looking at at the young church in action and uh, looking at this uh, incredible book of Acts. I, uh, I came uh, when I was preparing the, the, the series for this term to, uh, to call this morning a wise move. And uh, because that's what I, I really felt that uh, the, the passage uh, talked about. But as we'll see, perhaps the wise move that we see is a little bit different to the one that I'd first perceived. So let's continue. It'd be good just to have your, your, your Bibles open in front of you. Uh, if that was possible, just so that you can see uh, what I'm referring to and if there are bits that I refer elsewhere to. That would be awesome. So we're in Acts chapter 5 and uh, looking 17 through to the end of the chapter. I wonder, does anybody remember who was the star, arguably, of the 1988 Winter Olympic Games. You bet right, it was Eddie the Eagle. Yes, Eddie the Eagle Edwards. For those of you that maybe are thinking, what? What are they talking about? Eddie the Eagle was a a British, yes, British ski jumper. That sport that we are so well-renowned for, for jumping huge distances with a couple of bits of wood at the end of your feet. Eddie became famous because actually he wasn't very good at ski jumping compared to all the others, all the other nations who, it has to be said, do have big mountains and lots of snow as an advantage over dear Eddie. In in, in many senses, he was a heroic failure. Although fair play to the bloke. Have you ever stood at the top of a ski jump and looked down? It's insane. It is so steep. And it is such a long way down. You wouldn't get me doing that for all the tea in China. It's nuts. And dear Eddie the Eagle Edwards thought, I'm up for a challenge. I'll do that. Just so happened that other people were a bit better at flying and doing all that. As we look at this passage today, just struck me that maybe verse 36, the guy that's mentioned, Theudas or Theodos, the guy that's mentioned in verse 37, Judas the Galilean, maybe they were heroic failures. They set about to do something. I'm guessing they felt strongly about the way that the, the Romans were governing the, the nation and they wanted to do something to rise up and, and, and take on the Roman authorities. But actually, they didn't manage to do very much for very long. As the Jewish authorities observed the early church, and they were uncomfortable. We've seen that, haven't we, through these first few chapters. The early church made the Jewish authorities uncomfortable. And Gamaliel a respected Pharisee. Incidentally, he taught Paul. He was one of Paul's tutors before Paul came to know Jesus. 
He was a respected man of the people. And Gamaliel took a view as he observed all that was going on. Particularly, we see that this comes on the back of some incredible events where Ananias and Sapphira have dropped dead. Where, where the apostles have continued to heal people by the power of Jesus. And people have come to follow Jesus through their ministry. And Gamaliel takes a view. And he advises the Sanhedrin in verse 38. I advise you, he says, leave these men alone. Let them go. Because, folks, if this is from God, then you ain't going to be able to stop it. Just as a little aside, one of the great wonders and, 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 and testimonies of our Christian faith is that it has not been stopped by any amount of persecution, by any amount of any influence, the Christian faith has continued to grow and develop and spread through these 2,000 years. It is not a heroic failure by a few deluded souls. But it is the word of life. But that's kind of a little aside, just as you defend your faith and think about ways in which you can do that. It has the test of history. Now I've often thought, and this is why I called this passage this morning, Wise Move. I've kind of thought, as Gamaliel was kind of a wise guy, what he said and what he did actually was helpful to those apostles. And that's what gave me the title for today. But in a sense... As I thought about it more closely, we need to be careful about taking his principle as a principle for acting in our lives. That kind of thing of, well, if it lasts, if it's got legs, then it's of God. Because actually there are plenty of things that last and seem to grow and seem to have a huge impact on our society, on our world... They've got legs, but they ain't of God. And so there's something helpful in there, but I'm not sure that we can take what Gamaliel did as a principle upon which we can say, well, that's a way of, of, of understanding whether this is for, for us, for God, from God. But there is actually a very wise move in this passage. Just think back over what we've seen over the past few weeks. Look back in chapter 4, verse 8. We see that the apostles, for the first time, are questioned. They're threatened. They're imprisoned. And then they're released. So having begun the church, they immediately get a hammering. But after they're released, the church continues to grow. The word of Jesus continues to touch people's heart and his mercy and his grace and the blood he shed on the cross draws people to him. And the work of the Holy Spirit is incredible 
as people are healed, as people are able to speak in tongues that they had never, never learnt. There are all sorts of signs and wonders of God's goodness. But then we come back here, verse 18 of chapter 5. These boys are back in prison. Then there's a miraculous release. Angels come and let these guys out. And it seems like nobody knows about it. Because the guards, when they go looking, they're not there. What happened? But no sooner have they been released and they begin to go on doing their work again than they're rearrested. And they're grilled again. And they are flogged. They are beaten. You could kind of forgive these fellas for saying, well, do you know, we've given it a pretty good go. We've worked pretty hard. We've taken a whole lot of stick. And it doesn't seem to be going our way. Maybe the high priest and his fellow Sanhedrin members, maybe they've got it about right. But no. No. It wasn't a case of them giving their best, not really making the mark and giving up. No. You see, when the high priest restates his objection... Peter and the others make a very wise move. They stand up for the gospel. Conventional wisdom might say, back off. Just, you know, toe the line. Do what they're telling you. But no, they know that they cannot stop speaking about Jesus. They cannot do as they are told. Now let's be clear here. We are rightly and repeatedly told in Scripture that we need to honour and obey those in authority. Peter, in his own letter, writes that it is important that we honour and we obey those in authority. And this is absolutely right and we need to act on that. We need to be able to honour those on authority over us. But you know there are times where the authorities may well ask us by what they're saying to go against the gospel. And we need to be alert and we need to be prepared to obey God's way rather than man's way. Peter sums it up, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Peter is really clear there that obedience is important. His desire, his motive, his heart is to obey. But here, it's clear that obedience to God is paramount. He doesn't have a rebellious heart, which is actually such a human thing, isn't it? I think we're taught more and more in our society 
to do it our way, to run with it our way. There's something that, that kind of just bears down upon us, that actually nurtures a rebellious heart. And we need to be careful that we don't feed a rebellious heart. But Peter here is not speaking from a rebellious heart. But he's speaking as one who wants to honour Jesus at all costs. I want you to notice something. I might be really thick, but I only noticed this as I was preparing this this week. And you'll probably sit there and think, yeah, duh, of course. But verse 35, look. When Gamaliel comes on the scene, just before that, verse 34, the apostles have been put outside. They're not in the room. And then Gamaliel speaks to, to the Sanhedrin without the apostles there. And he begins to speak this, this kind of reasoning that he's got, that if these people are of God, then, well, that's fine. You cannot beat God. But the apostles don't hear that. They've been given a hard time. They've been arrested. They've been released. They've been brought back in. They've been told that they're not allowed to speak in Jesus' name. Then they're told to leave. And when they come back in, they've not heard any of this. They've not heard that that Gamaliel's kind of been speaking up for them. Next thing that happens to the apostles is they get a jolly good beating. We're not talking about six of the best from the headmaster, which, frankly, was enough to deter me from misbehaviour as a young boy. We don't have that anymore. But six of the best was a deterrent. This was not just a caning. This was a thoroughgoing flogging that almost certainly would have ripped their backs, left them bruised and injured for days afterwards. They haven't heard what Gamaliel has said to leave them alone. They've had a hard time from the high priest, sent outside, brought back in, beaten, and then told to shut up. Don't you dare speak in the name of Jesus. So what do they do? What do they do? Just imagine what it must have been like for them. Because I, I think it's important that they hadn't heard that. seems to me that Paul probably spoke to Peter of that later. That seems to be the link here between how that got into our Bible. That actually, if Paul and Gamaliel were in relationship, that, that they would have shared that kind of information. But right here, right at that point, the disciples, the, the apostles, did not know that maybe they were going to be left alone for this moment. What they do is very wise, but very dangerous. Because they continue to do what they've been told to do, first by Jesus, then reminded by the angel that frees them in verse 20. Tell the news of Jesus. And they go out. They go out rejoicing, not because they've been let go, but actually because they've been counted worthy of being disgraced for the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find that quite challenging. Because I think I'd have been quite relieved just to be let go. Would I have been rejoicing 
that I just had a thorough beating because I followed Jesus? I don't know. But their wise move was to choose the tough path. Not because they liked it being difficult, but because to teach the good news, to live the good news, to be followers of Jesus was the top priority. Now to some people, that will seem really foolish. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians acknowledges, actually, that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't want to hear it, the gospel is nuts. Because the gospel turns the world's standards upside down. Just think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say. Time and again, you have heard it said, but I say. The gospel turns the world's wisdom upside down. And we need, we need to be asking God's help for him to show us to help us to see the world through his eyes and then to have strength to live that out. It's so easy for us just to make pragmatic decisions, things that, that just seem to make sense, but actually they forget the radical nature of the gospel in our lives. And that can be difficult. So how can we do this? How can we be in a place where we can begin to see the world through God's eyes? Because isn't there a danger that we can kind of become bullshit and obstructive and doer, naysayers? Can't do that, mustn't do that. Do Begin to have kind of fixed, pursed lips as Christians. There's a danger, isn't there? That if we try to, to hold on to God's standards, that that's the way that we can become. And I think there is a danger of that, particularly if we go off into our own agendas and try to protect our own comfort zones, things that, that we believe to be right, and adopt a kind of a ghetto mentality. Because then the good news ceases to become good news and it becomes about legalism. And it becomes about structure. And it becomes about what you ought to be doing. Instead of the grace that Paul talks about to be releasing people and enabling people. It seems to me very quickly there are four ways I, I'd like to suggest that we keep ourselves being good news people. First one is regular, real fellowship. Where did the apostles go after their first relief? They went back and joined with the other believers. They joined with them and they talked with them. They prayed with them. They worshipped with them. They shared their lives with them. See, fellowship isn't just about coming together on a Sunday morning, although that is really important. But it is about building relationships where honesty 
and accountability can flourish and can work. How are you doing that at the moment? How are you enabling your life to be shaped by other Christians? Because actually if we're doing that, that is one of the ways that can help us keep our eyes looking towards Jesus and seeing things through his eyes. It would be great. We've got three house groups at the moment. One on a Tuesday evening, one on a Wednesday evening, one on a Wednesday morning. It would be wonderful if we had so many people wanting to join house groups and meet with other people and fellowship with other people that actually we had to kind of expand that and work that out. But actually small groups of people meeting in homes or in the stable or wherever it is can be really, really helpful in building relationship with others. Second way that we can keep ourselves being good news people is encounter with the word of God. Here, here is where we find nourishment, encouragement, challenge in this setting, but also with others on our own, allowing God's work to speak to us and to challenge all the other stuff that we take in day by day through our eyes, through our ears, through all that we do that that shapes us. We need God's words to be also shaping us. Thirdly, what we've done this morning in sharing bread and wine, it's not simply a a ritual that in this fellowship we, we... We celebrate a couple of times a month. Actually, it's about remembering who Jesus is, what he's done, where we stand before him, and actually where we would stand without him. Because that's important to remember too, isn't it? Where would we stand without Jesus? We would be stuck. And so as we come together and share communion, we have the opportunity to draw near to God with faith and remember what he's done for us. And alongside that regular fellowship, encounter with the word of God, sharing in the Lord's Supper, we need to be expectant that God would continually fill us with his Holy Spirit. What is it that uh, Peter says, verse 32, as he finishes his riposte to the high priest? We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We can't do this on our own. We can't become better people. I'm sure we could work on that. But actually... We need God working in us because he made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And we need his Holy Spirit to be changing us, helping us, enabling us not just to be transformed but to be looking to serve him. 
we ask for his filling, we can begin to know better the wisdom and the power of God, both as individuals but also together. Church meeting is about coming together to seek the mind of Christ, to be walking in a place where we want to seek God's wisdom. Nearly out of time, so let me just conclude with a couple of ways that you might be able to think this through. Maybe that actually this week, this day, you face circumstances where you know that you are swimming against the tide because of your faith. May you come once again today to the Lord for strength, for boldness, for wisdom, for humility, as you seek to speak and to live and to act in a way that goes counter to the situation that you face. Maybe today you know that actually, more or less, you've just been going with the flow. It's kind of hard work to keep swimming against the tide, and you just have been going with the flow, letting it all happen. And you feel, actually, that there is a challenge in a particular part of your life where you really do need, in God's help, to stand as a, a follower of Jesus. Maybe today, you simply need to be encouraged to be Jesus' presence in your workplace, in your home, in the places where you socialise. Maybe you just need to ask that, that God would enable you to be his fragrance, that people would see that there's something about you and about your walk of life that actually is about being a follower of Jesus. Maybe you will show his mercy this week. Maybe you will show God's understanding of justice this week. Maybe you'll show God's understanding of love this week because of how you deal with the situation. These folk made a wise move in choosing to take the tough root. May you know God's strength this week. Wherever it is that you're called to stand, that you may stand in grace and goodness, humility and strength.